from MPB Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Lee Russell, Associate Attorney with Anderson Orozco PLLC in Gulfport. Today, we'll talk about immigration law. What is the role of ICE or Immigration and Customs Enforcement? What, if any, are the recent policy shifts in immigration law? We'll also discuss some current issues with immigration laws, such as visa overstays. You can give us a call today at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Lee Russell, Associate Attorney with Anderson Orozco, PLLC in Gulfport. I'm going to get that right at some point this morning, Lee. <laughs> today we are talking about immigration law. What is the role of ICE or Immigration and Customs Enforcement? What, if any, are the recent policy shifts in immigration law? We'll also address some current issues with immigration laws, such as visa overstays. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions about the legalities of immigration law, 877 877- 672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning to you, Professor Gershon. How are you today? Doing great, Sharita, and uh, good morning to both of you in Jackson. Really happy to have Lee Russell on the show today. Immigration law is obviously an important topic and a very timely topic. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything on the political or legal front, uh, Professor Gershon, that's caught your eye this week? Well, just, you know, there are a couple of uh, issues regarding uh, voter ID cases and, um, and you know, the that you know, voter ID laws that have been struck down as being clearly designed to uh, prevent um, African Americans, especially from voting, and you know those are worth keeping an eye on. You know, I think I'm glad the courts are looking out for that because um, the voter ID laws can can be very neutral, or they can have an impact, a higher impact on minorities. And you know, voting rights are as much a part of the Constitution as gun rights are. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because people don't want any regulation under, uh, you know, the Second Amendment, but then they're really happy to have a lot of regulation on voting rights, which are just as important rights as gun ownership. Yeah. Um, And so there's still some stuff going on as far as Russia and, you know, they did some illegal things in uh, meddling with the election. Uh, Do you think this is just kind of going to be an ongoing saga or will some real developments be discovered? Well, it really depends. I think there's some testimony that... uh, Will, will, you know, help, help us all understand really, you know, whether this was a big deal or not a big deal. Uh, the main thing is we just want to know the truth and we want to know, uh, you know, what actually happened. And that's why, you know, there's a special prosecutor uh, that's been appointed. And I, I think Congress is taking this seriously. So, you know, this is a, a foreign power uh, that's not always been a friendly foreign power uh, who has been involved it's a, at some level for sure in our, in our politics. And you know, that we don't want to let some other country affect our democracy. And so, you know, it's an important important issue. Uh, you know, we don't have the facts yet. 
that's the that's the key. And so I think you know, being a lawyer, I want to know all the evidence, and I want to know what actually happened before I, before I come to any conclusions. But I'm glad that Congress is taking this seriously. Yeah, um, and on a different note, we have talked about free speech so many times on the show. And uh, yesterday there was a, a post made on Facebook by Representative Carl Oliver of Mississippi, and uh, it has uh, caused a firestorm to say the least. But, you know, uh, he's a lawmaker, uh, Professor Gershon, but, you know, does he have the right to post what he wants to post on his Facebook page without consequence? Well, you know, he does have a right to post what he wants on his Facebook page. That, you know, that's a, a First Amendment right. Some, I was asked whether that was hate speech. Hate speech involves action hmm. as well. Um, and so, you know, carving a swastika on an elevator is, is hate speech because there's action involved with it. But, you know, it's interesting because, yeah, he can do that. But, you know, that the, the point of free speech is there can be consequences and people will tell you that you're wrong and what you said was offensive. And I, I'm really happy about the strong response to that because, under no circumstance, would the war, you know the use of the term lynching be an appropriate thing to do? Uh, I mean, that could potentially incite violence. Um, I mean, it, it sounded like a call to violence. Uh, do you think it could get to that point where it may not be the actual action, but inciting it in some way? Well, you know, if it was if if it was really uh, you know a serious threat like that, then it, then certainly it could, there could be some, uh, uh, you know, criminal sanction for that. It was just a, a dumb thing to do. It was, you know, it was, you know, people, people need to think when they post on social media, people in government especially need to think when they post on social media. It gives us some insight into the way that uh, Representative Oliver, uh, I'll use the term loosely, thinks. And so, um, you know, I hope the voters in Winona will, will consider that. Uh, when the, the next time there's an election, because that's that's not the type of person we want to have representing us uh, in this state. And for the record, once you put something on Facebook, it's out there. Uh, the post has since been deleted, but there were all kinds of screenshots taken. And so it's out there. So once you put it on social media, it is permanent. There's really no such thing as deleting it. And many times people don't even take the apology seriously. <laughs> so just exactly. something to keep in mind. There are consequences. That's right. Free speech has consequences. You know, that doesn't mean somebody can't prevent you from saying what you want to say, but there are consequences of saying it. Right. Well, uh, I am joined in studio today. Um, Professor Gershon, we're sorry that you are alone, but I am glad to have uh, the uh, University of Mississippi graduate in studio with me, Lee Russell, who's going to be talking with us about immigration law. So you were saying that you are from upstate New York. Tell us how you ended up in Mississippi. Well, I actually went to uh, University of North Carolina, Wilmington for undergrad. Uh, got down there just because I wanted to surf and play rugby, actually. Okay. <laughs> uh, once there, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Uh, I thought about law school, thought about the military. Uh, ended up applying a lot of different places. Uh, got into University of Mississippi, uh, visited the campus, loved the campus. The scholarship was just too much turned down and uh, ended up staying here and happy to be here. Good. Well, we're glad to have you here, especially today. We're talking about a really important topic. Um, the the topic of immigration seemed to just really, really take the forefront during the presidential campaign and the election. Um, so from your own perspective, do you specialize in immigration law? Yes. Our, our firm is one of the biggest in the state, and that's 90 percent of what we do. We do some other areas of law, but mainly it's just how it crosses over and the importance of making sure that, for instance, in a criminal case, that someone doesn't plead to a case that's going to affect their legal permit status here or ability to become a citizen later on. So did you see a rise in cases or complaints uh, during the, the campaign that, that things worsen? 
It wasn't so much during the campaign, but immediately after, um, there was some fear. We got a lot of phone calls of what's going on with my case, what's going on with my case. Nothing's changed. We don't know what's changed. But now that the enforcement priorities have changed and now that ICE is starting to really pick things up, we are getting a lot more people coming into the office and a lot more worry and more, more fear in the community. Hmm. So let's talk about ICE in particular. Um, this is an enforcement group, but uh, what is ICE and how do they operate? ICE is Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. They're a branch that's under the Department of Homeland Security. The Department of Homeland Security in- comprises all of everything immigration-wise. So ICE is the people who are in charge of enforcing those laws. They're the ones who make sure that the immigration laws themselves are enforced. So is ICE a federal group or is there an ICE in each state? ICE is a federal group, but every state has their own branch, which is under each department head. For instance, uh, here in Jackson and down in Gulfport, where we're from, um, they fall under the auspices of the New Orleans branch. Uh, If you get a little bit north of here, you're getting into the Memphis territory, but every department has its own sub-office. Now, policy-wise, there used to be sound, uniform policy throughout the nation of what ICE should do. That's changed over the past few months, and now each sub-office kind of gets to make their own decisions on how they want to enforce law. Um, For instance, down on the coast, they're a little bit more lenient, a little bit more easy to deal with. We're up here in Jackson. The Jackson agents kind of want to go out and be the wild, wild west cowboys. Hmm. So um, do people report to ICE or do they just conduct their own investigations and then decide what they're going to do? It's a little bit of both. Uh, ICE has what's called check-ins where someone will go, well, if someone's in removal proceedings, they'll have them check in with ICE agents. And that's simply, all right, come in, make sure you haven't committed criminal history, make sure you are living where you say you are so we know where you are. And on the other side of things, it's ICE going out and trying to find people who are here in the country illegally. All right. uh, 877-MPB-RING is the number. If you want to join the conversation, we're talking about immigration law. If you have any questions or comments about uh, the rights of immigrants, you can give us a call at 877-672-7464. Any questions about ICE, uh, the Immigration Customs Enforcement Group, and how they operate, give us a call. Uh, We have Andrew in Natchez who has a question. Good morning to you, Andrew. What do you have for us? Yes, ma'am. I just don't understand the whole fuss about illegal immigration because the word illegal is the opposite of legal. And I think if you're here illegally, you shouldn't be here. And I don't know how anyone can uh, justify someone breaking the law and uh, being okay. And I just I just don't understand the whole fuss about it. And I'll just hang up and listen. Thank you. Okay, Andrew. Thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Any thoughts on that? Well, a lot. When you say illegal, yes. A lot of people are here illegally. But when you think about it, if someone who came in with their parents when they were two years old and they've known nothing but this country, they've grown up here, some of them only speak English, and some of them might actually surprise you are your police officers nowadays under what used to be DACA status and, well, still is DACA status, but they're here, they've been here since they were two, since they've been infants. So to say that they're illegal and there's nothing that we should do to help them when we want to send them back to Guatemala and they know nothing about it. It's a little harsh and I get the the reasons behind it, but to put that in practice is something a little different. So when you say illegal, does that mean that 
they just don't have paperwork to be in Mississippi? What makes an individual um, illegally living in the, in the country? Um, to be legally living in U.S. or the state of Mississippi, there's many ways. So you could be on a visa, it could, you could be a legal permanent resident, or you could be a U.S. citizen. Um, visas themselves, uh, we refer to it as kind of the alphabet soup. There's visas for pretty much everything under the sun. Uh, the most common is uh, B1, B2. It's a tourist visa. Uh, there's HB, HB2, H2As, H2Bs, which is just work visas, TNs. Then there's things like EBs, which are investor visas, which are a little more controversial. And then you get to other family-based type visas like K visas, which are fiancé visas. Uh, legal permanent residents are people who the U.S. have decided you can stay here permanently, and if you want, you can become a U.S. citizen. And then U.S. citizens are obviously people who have adjusted or people who have been born here. All right. Uh, Professor Gershon, did you have anything? No, I just think this is really – I'm really glad that Lee talked about the difference between people who are criminals and people who are here technically uh, not, you know, under under the law. Um, and, and yeah, I think Lee's job is to try to help them to be here legally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, and we'll talk a little bit more about that process after the break. The number is 877-MPB-RING if you want to join the conversation. We're talking about immigration laws this morning. 877-672-7464 is the number if you have any questions about uh, the process of becoming legal. If you have any questions about ICE, how they operate, give us a call, 877-672-7464, or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Snake Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here today with Professor Richard Gershon and Lee Russell. And we're talking about immigration law. What is the role of ICE, also known as Immigration and Customs Enforcement? What, if any, are the recent policy shifts and immigration laws? And we'll also talk about visas, visa overstays, which is something that's been in the news recently. You can give us a call if you have any questions or comments about immigration laws, uh, the process of becoming a legal resident in Mississippi or the United States. Give us a call, 877-672-7464. If you have any questions about the different kinds of visas, 877-MPB-RING is the number. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, so uh, earlier this year, there were uh, some situations that happened where ICE went and raided some restaurants. And um, could you talk about what would be considered probable cause for them to raid a restaurant? Uh, you know, would this be after an ongoing investigation or are sometimes the raids random? Uh, in that particular case, it was the probable cause itself was probable cause to believe that these restaurant owners were essentially hiring people without status or hiring people who weren't authorized to work in these restaurants or 
maybe, and I don't know the particulars of this case, but maybe not paying them enough. Uh, ICE raids themselves, everyone, the raids has a very loose term. Because if you talk to immigrants themselves, a lot of them just define raids as someone coming to get me in my home. Whereas in this case, it was them going into the business. Um, the probable cause aspect is fairly low threshold. And a lot of times it's just um, we know we caught this person coming across the border. We released them. They're here. We know they're here. We have a warrant. We go get them. And getting that warrant is something they just drop the paperwork. It's very simple to get. So could you talk more about this idea of hiring people without legal status? Is that that's probably illegal, right? It is illegal. Um, and I'd venture to say that even in this state, um, it happens on a regular basis. And it's something that most people don't want to know about. They don't want to talk about. But strawberries are picked somehow. Farms are worked somehow. Um, there's a lot of work that a lot of people who have who have been born here don't want to do. And uh, it gets done somehow. So could you talk about um, the process of becoming a legal resident in the United States? What kind of paperwork do you need? Is it a, a really difficult and complex process? How long does it take? <laughs> it's an extremely difficult and complex process for most people. Um, now, if you had, there's many different ways you can become a U.S. citizen. Um, for people who came in legally, um, the first step is essentially to become a legal permanent resident. Um, and there are many different ways to do that. Uh, one of the most common is through marriage to a U.S. citizen. Now, after you marry a U.S. citizen, um, three years after that, so long as it's based on that marriage, you can apply to become a U.S. citizen. Um, but that first step in that process also takes a few months and a lot of paperwork. And then when you finally get to that point, it's more paperwork. It's more waiting, waiting around with USCIS. Um, it's, it is a government bureaucracy, so it's hurry up and wait. And all the time it's wait, wait, wait. And then you'll get a letter saying you need to do something in 30 days and you have to do it, rush to do it. And then once that's done, you finally have the chance to go take your test, take the oath of naturalization, and become a U.S. citizen. Now, if you had an illegal entry, that process gets even more complicated and we're running into things like extreme unusual hardship, which that's extremely difficult to prove and that's what we do on a daily basis of showing how a wife who doesn't have a job whose husband is the only one who supports them who has four u.s citizen children and we have to show the government how the removal of the husband would create this hardship and allow them to get some status here Okay, 877-MPB-RING is the number if you want to join the conversation. This morning we're talking about immigration laws. If you have any questions or comments about the process of becoming a legal resident, uh, if you have any questions or comments about illegal immigrants, you can call us 877-MPB-RING. If you want to know more about ICE, uh, also known as the Immigration and Customs Enforcement and their process, call us at 877-672-7464. If you have any questions about visas and the different kinds that are offered, 877-MPB-RING or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, I wanted to back up. So after ICE raids, uh, whether it be a home or a business, um, the individuals they capture, are they immediately sent out of the United States and denied reentry ever again? Or how does that work? Uh, it depends. Um, they are entitled to due process if they've never been, if they've never had a visa or a they, well, in general, they're, they're entitled to due process so long as they assert their rights. 
Um, now, if you're a visa overstay, that's a little bit different um, than if you came in here illegally and you've never seen an immigration judge or anything like that. Uh, most of the time, what happens when ICE catches you is they do one of two things. They either give you a notice to appear in immigration court, in which case you can go and assert whatever defenses you have of why you should stay here, or they decide to detain you. If they decide to detain you, more than likely in this area, they're going to send you to Oakdale, Louisiana, at which point it's going to be an expedited process, and anything you do to try and stay here has to be done very quickly or get out on immigration bond. What is a visa overstay? A visa overstay is simply someone who got a visa for, and all visas come with a period of time. Um, for instance, you can get a tourist visa for six months, and then while you're here, you decide, well, I, I think I want to stay here. Um, one of the most common visa overstays people see are the tourist visas and um, actually student visas. Uh, most of the student visas are you're supposed to go back to your home country, and a lot of people, once they get here, they go to college here, they find jobs here, they obviously want to stay here and build a life here. Okay. Um, have a couple calls to get to. We go first to Macy in Jackson, who has a visa question. Uh, good morning to you, Macy. What do you have for us this morning? Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, good morning, Dr. Russell. Good morning. I know him as Dean Gershon from back when I was there a couple years ago. I'm a graduate of the law school. Love the show. Um, uh, and, and I'm a practicing attorney here in Jackson. Um, but uh, my wife, actually, I uh, actually on my 30th birthday took a trip to Bogota, Colombia, and ended up meeting uh, the love of my life. And uh, 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 even though she had a tourist visa, uh, uh, she worked for uh, an airline, some international company, traveled all over, uh, uh, including Europe. So she had all sorts of tourist visas. Uh, uh, but we decided uh, upon um, our engagement uh, for her to come here actually on the K-1, the fiancé visa, despite the fact that she had a pre-existing tourist visa to come here on that, because we knew the true purpose of her coming here uh, on the final point, I mean, she was moving, she brought her cat, um, uh, was for us to get married. Uh, but I get asked a lot of questions from other uh, uh, friends, other Colombians, other uh, 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 immigrants, uh, uh, primarily Latinos, that they don't do it that way. They bring the spouse here on the tourist visa, they just get married, and then I guess claim that they you know, spontaneously... Uh, fell in love, or, or they, they spontaneously decided to get get married, and they apply for the green card. The uh, you know uh, with the entry being on a tourist visa, and um, my question because because I was paranoid and, and just didn't want to do it that way, didn't want to risk anything. Is do you have any experience in applicants petitioners having problems when you know in the interview or whatever when they say, hey, you know? Uh, uh, your spouse came here clearly or, or, or perhaps with the intention to marry and, and the entry was on a tourist visa and not on the fiancé visa. Well, once you get to that final interview with USCIS about whether they're going to grant her adjustment of status, they're not so concerned about her entry itself. Now, if she comes in and at the point of entry, when they're interviewing her to give her her tourist visa, and she says, I plan on staying here and plan on getting married, that's a different issue. But 
if you have a legal entry into the United States and you're now married to a U.S. citizen, you're considered what's called an immediate relative, and that allows you to do what we call, a, as immigration practitioners, a one-step application, which uh-huh. is the I-130, the 485, the 765, the 131. And I know this is just a bunch of numbers, but it's a no, whole... No, bu- no, I know it well because we're in the process. <laughs> <Yeah>. So we're... <laughs> and it costs $1,250, and let me tell you something. <laughs> everyone wants to talk about immigration. It is a lot more complicated and difficult. The same people that often complain about filling out their tax paperwork, yeah. then, you know, say, hey, like, hey, you're a leader. It's like, uh... You have no idea, but anyway. Yeah, but the actual interview itself with USCIS is they're just looking to see if this is a legitimate marriage. Um, there's a bunch of questions that they can ask you, and they can even schedule you for a additional interview, what's called a Stokes interview, where they get really into some super personal stuff that I don't think I should be talking about on the radio. But um, okay, most of the general questions you'll get are... You know, what color is the door to your house? How many rooms are in the house? Who takes out the trash? Who does the dishes? Now, if there's some dispute about who does the dishes and you both claim you do the dishes and that's just a marital normal kind of thing like I do with my girlfriend, I'm sure I would say I do dishes, but she would object. <laughs> that's one thing. But if the question is, what did you guys do for Christmas last year? And you say that um, we went over to my mom's house and we had turkey and she says that... Uh, well, we stayed at home and we had fish. Then you're going to get into some issues. But the question itself is they're just looking to see, do you guys love each other? Do you, is this a legitimate marriage? Are you guys living together? They're not looking at the actual entry itself at that point. Well, and I guess if I may, then, as a quick follow-up, what then practically speaking, and of course I'm saying practically speaking, is ever the point of applying for and, 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 getting, and going through the two-step process of the fiancé visa like we did when – the fiance uh, already has a, a tourist visa. I mean, it seems to me like that was, quite frankly, a mistake on our part, and maybe her attorney me was bad. But I, I, my thought was, look, you're entering here for the purpose of us getting married. Legally speaking, I mean, you're entering for that purpose, and and um, and I guess maybe that just comes down to questioning because, like I said, she had a cat, she had all sorts of household goods. I don't know how believable it would have been for her to say, well, I'm coming here as a tourist. Yeah. Well, the, the K visa itself is something that we don't like too much because it comes with a lot of strings attached to it. But it, it is a proper way to do it. And um, what it's really good for is for someone who can't just get a tourist visa because from some of these countries, even getting a tourist visa, you have to show that you have substantial assets to return to. So switching that over to a K visa and showing that you're going to get married here, you can actually come here. So that's the biggest thing that a K is for. All right, Macy, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We're going to take a really quick break and we get back. We have Simon, Annie, and Sue to get to, and we do have a line open if you want to join the conversation. We're talking about immigration law this morning with Lee Russell, associate attorney with the Anderson Orozco PLLC in Gulfport. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Lee Russell, Associate Attorney with Anderson Orozco, PLLC, in Gulfport, Mississippi. We're talking about immigration laws today. If you want to give us a call, you can at 877-MPB-RING. If you want to talk about the process of becoming a legal resident in Mississippi or the United States, if you have questions about that, you can give us a call about any rights on either side. Call us at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. All right, we're going back to the phones now. First to Simon in Starkville, who has a question. Good morning to you, Simon. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Uh, The problem I have is I come as an international student, and I get my MBA from Mississippi State. So, but one girl had to look for a job, and all the employer just asked me, are you a U.S. citizen, or do you have a green card? So... That had become a process. It's like a circle there. I needed to get a job to be a resident or U.S. citizen. And design. I need to become American to get a job. So how can I fix that? Well, the first question is, what kind of visa did you come on? Was it? Uh, uh, I come on with F1 visa. F1 visa? Yeah. Okay. Um, what kind of jobs are you applying to right now? Like, uh, I've been applying the jobs related to bank, insurance company, or big companies, financial analysis, which are fit to my major there. A lot of the problem that you're going to run into is what's called a cap. And on the actual employment visas, with the exception of a TN, which is for Mexico and Canada, um, the employment visas all have a certain number that they can hit each year. and. If your employer isn't cap exempt, for example, a medical university or something, it, universities and hospitals and some jobs that are considered critical needs, um, you're going to run into that cap and your employer is going to have to fight against that. And whether when it comes down to if you can get it or not, it's entirely a lottery. And we all hate this process as immigration practitioners, but unfortunately, that's something that you're going to run into. Okay. And a lot of employers don't want to take that risk. So that's why they didn't take this risk. Yeah. But why the people in New York and California, they're more willing to take this kind of thing? Um, A lot of companies are associated with universities, and they can get around that. Um, Yeah. And if I were you, that's what I would be heading towards and looking at. So which means international students are not really welcomed by Mississippi State? Um, you're welcome to come study here. You're welcome to uh, do everything. And then after you get your degree, um, if you're in a STEM program, you can get your OPT extension. But then yeah. after that, you're back in the lottery with everyone else. And trust me, you're not alone in this situation. <laughs> All right. Okay. okay. All right, Simon. Thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. Okay, we go next to Annie, who is calling from West Point with a comment and a question. Good morning to you, Annie. Good morning. Hey, what's your uh, comment? First, a comment and then a question. Uh, I have a friend in Maryland who's an artist with uh, exhibitions in some of the Canadian galleries. For the last five or six years, he's been going back and forth every few months with his art interests. Um, about a month ago, 
when he went to cross the border into Canada. They would not let him cross because of a minor 1984 arrest. That is an example of how Canada is responding to our immigration policies. Um, I have now the question. When the gentleman said the ICE representatives around Jackson are acting like it's the wild, 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 wild west, what does that mean? And does it represent us well as the hospital? the hospitality state or rebrand us as the inhospitable state? Well, I'll address your first point first. Uh, I don't think that was so much of Canada responding to our changes in immigration policy. I think that was more that it actually popped up. Um, with electronics now, every record's being scanned electronically now, so it's hitting everyone's system. And it's surprisingly, even those minor arrests, they do cause issues. And if he wants to go back to Canada, I'm sure if it truly was just a little minor thing, it may be something that we can work out. Um, but again, I don't know what it was. And that would be something to look into of getting the actual court records and seeing why they actually denied him. Um, the second part, it's not that the Jackson agents are necessarily doing anything illegal. Um, it's more so that they're pushing the limits um they they're going out and picking up people anyone they come across regardless of the humanitarian um reasons that exist of maybe you shouldn't pick this person up um if they have a child with down syndrome in their house um, maybe that's not the person you want to pick up and send to oakdale because Eventually, us, the taxpayers, are going to pay for that U.S. citizen with Down syndrome as opposed to the father out there helping that child. Hmm. Okay, Annie, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We'll stay on the phones. We're going next to Sue in McLean with a question. Good morning to you, Sue. Hi. I, I would like to make a couple of comments. Uh, is there any other country in, on earth that would allow illegals to come across your border and establish residence and, and expect to stay on there without you know, having citizenship? I, I've read that even... If you go across the border into Mexico, that that uh, if, you, if an American just walks across the border and takes up residence in Mexico illegally, that you can be hassled and really, uh, uh, it, it, I mean, is this only the United States the only country that allows people to just come in and not expect any repercussions? Okay, um, I can't speak to other countries' laws. I, I I only got my law license here, so. And uh, I can only talk about U.S. immigration law. But what I can tell you is um, at the core of U.S. law is that our immigration policy is supposed to be a family-based policy. Every country picks however they want to tailor their immigration policy to. Uh, here in the United States, we've decided we want to place the emphasis on keeping families together. So if someone is here with their family with their children we value that and we always have valued that and that's come out of the 1920s when people were coming over here from ellis island and then they wanted to bring their families as well so that's the core of our policy and that's what we seek to do um if and it's not like someone can just come over here and stay there has to be good reason for them to be here there's got to be compelling circumstances um 
if you don't have them, you have no chance in immigration law. It's the courts are, while they may sympathize, they're relentless and they will send people back. Okay, Sue, thank you for your call. Um, I, I saw this article on CBS News. It was talking about churches offering sanctuaries for immigrants. Um, this seems to be a new push, uh, a push back against federal immigration law. Is that legal for churches and, and places of worship to do and as a way to kind of protect immigrants? Um, could an ICE official come in a church and, and arrest an immigrant? Um, is, is this something new that, that is a, a kind of like a rebellious thing for churches? Well, um, an ICE agent can, still can go in. Um, the only thing the ICE agents are under now is a memorandum that was put out uh, under President Obama, and it it's sensitive locations. And these include churches, hospitals, college campuses, elementary schools, daycares, if they're licensed. So it's not so much like what I think about growing up as a kid is Hunchback of Notre Dame, where you get in the church, claim sanctuary, and everything's good. Mm. It's more so that we don't want ICE agents breaking in the doors of churches and going after them. But that being said, ICE agents can still get permission from one of the executive directors to go get that person. So the church's response, um, yes, it's it, it's giving them some buffer. It still isn't preventing immigration from going in and getting that person. All right, a couple more calls to get to before we go to the break. Esther is in Oxford with a question about a passport. Good morning to you, Esther. Uh, good morning. I have a question concerning passports and uh, citizenship. My question is, is there any other way to get a U.S. passport if you have lost your certificate of naturalization? Well, you can always refile to get your certif certificate of naturalization. Um, yes, I know that, but is there any other way? Because the certificate that has been lost, we don't know the number of, uh, that's on it even. So if you fill out the form, you have to have the number. Uh, what you can do is what we refer to as a FOIA request and do it for immigration purposes, and that will allow you to get all of your government records. Okay. And how do I go about doing that? Um, if you go online um, there, there's a, and search USCIS FOIA, it'll bring you to the steps you can do it. And um, the quickest way we actually do is CBP FOIAs, um, and that requires fingerprints. It's a little more detailed. But if you just find the USCIS FOIA, um, you, you can just type it in USCIS and space FOIA in Google search and it'll pop right up for you. And it's a form. All you got to do is print that form out, fill it out, send it into the location on there. Um, and they'll print out, they'll get you, get you a copy of your records and you'll be able to get your, all your numbers and everything like that from that. Okay. You're saying FOIA. Would you please spell that for me? Yes. F O I A. F-O-I-A. Yep. Okay. It's, Thank you very much. It stands for Freedom of Information Act. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. We appreciate your call. Okay. We're going next to Charles in Jackson who has a comment and a question. Good morning to you, Charles. Hello. How, how are you this morning? Doing great. No, the thing about immigration is, for me, is kind of interesting is that politicians have gotten people in this country so upset about, about immigrants. I look at, in this country, I've, I've heard the, the number of like 12 million, maybe, immigrants in, uh, in this country out of 350 million people, which is roughly 3% of, of, the, of the population. And it seems like many people think that this 3% of the population is just disrupting the economy of this country. 
and, and I'm not suggesting that uh, that laws regarding who's a citizen or who can be here, that that should not be done. But it seems like we are so obsessed and, and divided over this small group of people when we have much larger population of people in this country that, are, that don't have don't have health care. We don't have education for people. People don't, three, I think three people, three children in Mississippi go hungry every day. And and we just, it seems like to me the immigration issue is just, it's just out of, it's out of, uh, uh, of perspective looking at all the other major problems that we have that seems to be much more important. But that's just my crazy thought. So I'm going to get, 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 get off there and listen. Okay, Charles, we appreciate your thoughts. Uh, I didn't think they were crazy. No, no. And Charles, I, I mean, I do agree with you on some point. Um, immigration, as an immigration practitioner, it's something that it's always been kind of silent. No one's really cared about us. This really hasn't been a hot button issue for many years. Um, and it seems this most recent election kind of just brought everything to the forefront. And now it's everyone wants to jump in and put their opinion on it in the ring. And it's kind of frustrating things a lot and you know it's interesting because really all of us are immigrants except for native americans when you come right down to it Mm. uh and so you know we all came here at one point and when i lived in florida i remember people saying hey you know there's so many people in florida now we we should start making people pay extra to come to florida and have you know special limits on their ability to go there it was a similar kind of thing it was like okay now that i'm here i want to close the door and uh i'm not sure that that's really how it works all right. Um, and, and can we talk a little bit more about, um, you know, there was what many described as fear mongering when it came to immigrants and uh, calling them rapists and all other kind of things. Uh, is there any statistical truth to the idea that uh, the illegal immigrants here are causing more havoc when it comes to violence and things like that? If there is, uh, I haven't seen it. Um, I know that there are stats upon stats upon stats that every office puts out different stats and i've seen some that uh the numbers say they are some that they aren't. I, I, at this point it's i know what i deal with and i know the people i deal with are good people who have been here and most of which don't have any criminal history and just want to do what's best for their family the majority of people who come to the United States don't come here to commit crimes or to get welfare or anything like that. They come here because they want to work. They come here because they want a better life. It's the same reason our ancestors came here was for that better life. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll wrap up the conversation about immigration law. If you're listening, you have any questions or comments about ICE, also known as Immigration and Customs Enforcement. If you have any comments or questions about the process of becoming a legal resident in Mississippi or the United States, give us a call, 877-672-7464. Do you have any questions or comments about visas and the different types? 877-MPB-RING is the number. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And 
And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by attorney Lee Russell and Professor Richard Gershon. We've been talking about immigration laws. And uh, before we get back to the calls, we have a couple more to get to really quickly. Um, you wanted to touch on asylum really quickly. So who would be seeking asylum? Um, there are lots and lots of different people who seek asylum. It's one of the most common things uh, that we see of people coming to the United States is seeking asylum. Um, especially in the Latin American countries, it's fear of the gangs, fear of the violence that people can't even go outside in their streets without the threat of being shot. Um, one of the biggest things within that is um, a lot of women who have been abused in their home country. And in the United States, we like to protect people who would be harmed if they go back to their home country. That's what we allow for. So so we offer asylum? We offer asylum. Okay. So if you can show that you will be persecuted by a government or a group upon your return, the United States will give you essentially the ability to stay here either forever or the ability to eventually become a legal permanent resident. And that all depends on if you apply early in your situation or you apply later on. Um, for a lot of these most recent petitions that we've been getting, it's a lot of women who have been abused by men. And um, in these governments of Honduras, Guatemala, it's there's no police. There's no nothing. And they keep getting harmed. And if they go back, they will continue to get harmed. And it's a shame that immigration has become such a hot-button issue these days, but it's... There's a lot of fear of people who should come forward and should tell their stories, but they're afraid that they won't even have the opportunity to tell them. Mm. And if they were, and if they did, could come forward, and if we could reach out to them and talk to them, it, we could help them stay here. Um, okay, and before we get to the calls, is there a, a hotline or just a general number uh, for uh, resources for immigrants or people needing help? Um, there's a few. Uh, non obviously, we do immigration, but uh, there's a few non-for-profits that also do it. Uh, Catholic Charities in Mississippi is one of the biggest ones. They're in a Louisiana office. Um, MIRA is more of an immigration rights. Um, they help advise you of your rights and everything like that. And we work closely with these organizations to uh, make sure that the correct policies are being advocated and that immigrants' rights are being um, protected. All right, Mike is in Meridian with a comment. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. What do you have for us today? Yes, I'm a, I'm a legal immigrant myself, but I don't know if this was brought up. I only caught the last half of the show. But I just, I'm curious. It seems like if somebody comes here illegally and they, have, and they get married to an American, raise their children here, it doesn't make any kind of sense to separate that family because what you're going to end up with is, is just a whole bunch of mostly fatherless families. And I think it doesn't make economic sense, moral sense, or anything. Hmm. That's a good comment, Mike. Any thoughts on that? Well, the thought process behind that is if you came here illegally, um, there needs to be something. Because if the case was everyone can just come here illegally and then have kids everyone would just be coming here illegally and having kids. Um, now, the U.S. government realizes that there are situations of where if you have a large family, if they're dependent upon you, we don't want to break up that family. Now, we don't want to help 
every single person because then our borders would be streaming and it would be a nonstop flow. Um, the theory is that every single country is a lifeboat and every single lifeboat can only take on so many people, otherwise it sinks. So we created what's called a 601A waiver and that's showing if you can show that your family, your U.S. citizen children, your U.S. citizen wife would suffer extreme unusual hardship in your absence, then we're going to let you stay here. Now, we can't take everyone in the United States because there's not enough resources, there's not enough jobs, there's not enough everything, but for some, we want to lend out a helping hand and we want to help those. All right, Mike, thank you for your call. Uh, Pam in Memphis, uh-huh. good morning to you. We have a little less than a minute. Go ahead. All right. I'm calling actually as an advocate for a young man who's been here about 19 years from Mexico. Um, he entered legally to begin with, but um, returned home approximately 12 years ago to um, for a wedding and was apprehended crossing the border here again. He has a 12-year-old daughter, and I just wondered if there's any path for him to be a citizen or to get a green card now that he's had that one run-in. Um. Do you know if he was uh, actually put in removal proceedings and saw a judge or if they just caught him and let him go? Caught and let go is what I, um, I believe happened. Okay. And then he came back in the United States? Right. Okay. Um, is he currently married? No. Okay. Um, his path is going to be uh, difficult. Does his daughter suffer from any hardships, any medical hardships, anything like that? Uh, not really, just um, uh, the need for a dad. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, well, we we don't want to get too too deep into it. Uh, could you yeah. give uh, give your your um, law firm's information for to be reached for more information? Sure. sure. Yeah. Um, we have uh, well, now we're up to four offices. We have an office here in Jackson, uh, office in Gulfport, office in Ocean Springs, and office in New Orleans. And uh, our number is two two eight eight three one zero zero two five. And uh, the firm name is Anderson and Roscoe, and my name is Lee Russell. Okay, and also, Pam, you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org if you need more assistance.